Welcome to 186, episode 186 of Unconventional Humans Podcast. Today's episode is called When Nietzsche, Nietzsche Wept. Today's book is called When Nietzsche Wept. It is a book of fiction, but it's based on real people that have lived, and it's based on real philosophies as well. So in this book, you get exposed to Nietzsche's philosophies, some of his philosophies, his view on the world through a fictional story. The story itself didn't actually happen, but the people in it, Dr. Josef Breuer, Breuer, uh, Sigmund Freud, Frederick Nietzsche, these were all real people that lived and had a huge influence on psychology, philosophy, and Breuer, Dr. Breuer was a physician who studied neurology i think it was neurology was a neurophysiology was an area that he was in so in this book the premise of it is nietzsche frederick nietzsche is living with despair which is related to his his issues in life primarily around relationships and over the course of this book you've got a conversation between Dr. Breuer and Nietzsche where initially Dr. Breuer was trying to cure Nietzsche of despair but as a result of engaging in that objective he began to discover the depths of his own despair and how Nietzsche actually started to help him to uncover his reason, like some of the reasoning behind his despair. So it's a I found it a very useful book that and I found it very clever that the author, I checked the author's name actually. I didn't I didn't look into him too much afterwards. I should have done that early. When Nietzsche wept. But that was very cleverly done how we there's a lot of research that went into this into this Irvine D. Yalom is the author. But I could see there's a lot of research that went into this. And it's a fictional story that he wrote. And it gives an insight into the power of talking. So at the time, you're talking about a time where Psychoanalysis was just starting, beginning to emerge with Freud. Because in this book, Freud is a medical student and he's not yet known as a psychoanalyst. He's not yet engaging in that. All you see in this book is the, well, the nebulous of his passion for understanding the human psyche, for understanding the unconscious, and for speaking to people, understanding their problems that are intangible. And I appreciated that Nietzsche, the philosopher then here, you're getting insights into how a man like that can help another man, but you're also starting to see in this book how he's human, that I guess how his genius can actually work against him in certain ways. So in this book, what I got from this book and it was that Nietzsche had a big thing around power 
power plays between people that people were constantly engaging in power plays, either consciously or unconsciously, whether they knew it or not. And I feel in many ways Nietzsche is right when he says that. There is a lot of unconscious power plays, conscious and consciously between people. Because there was the because that can be very, very subtle. Like one of the things that this book highlighted was Nietzsche viewed a power play in the sense that somebody helping him, what's their real motivation for wanting to help me? And so on the flip side of that, you start to see Nietzsche's struggle is with isolation and not easily being able to ask for help from people in a genuine sense. So that got me thinking in this, this book got me thinking more around this idea of the sacrifice you go through to become individual in the sense of the isolation you put yourself through in order to have your own philosophy in order to self-actualize in some way and i could see that with nietzsche here that he seemed to be very much of the school of thought that solitude's a good thing quietness is a good thing and that can lead into isolation if you're not careful but then I think it's a matter of knowing yourself. I think we all have different tolerance levels for isolation, for wanting to be by ourselves. So what this got me thinking about was that there's a sacrifice to getting to know yourself, getting to know how you think about things. That is that you're venturing into the unknown alone, which can be an isolating experience but is it any better to not take that path and sacrifice yourself to be suffocated by other people and i'm saying suffocated in the sense that when you don't take any time to yourself you don't try and figure yourself out it's very hard to know where one belief starts another ends like where does the belief in my mind come from it's very hard to isolate that stuff that's how you can be suffocated in by other people because you're continuously around other people with different beliefs you don't know where one belief starts and one ends whereas if you spend more time alone it's you have to deal with the isolation but you're in a better position to determine what you truly think and feel about the world. And that's, that was a major theme of this book was the, self-discovery, a large portion of it for Nietzsche was isolation. So there's five main things I wanted to talk about today that came up and that came up from my observations of the book dr breuer mentioned that there's a big difference between nietzsche in person and nietzsche in the books he read it's actually quite interesting as well for me as a writer that nietzsche nietzsche had written two books when he met dr breuer human all too human and 
can't remember the second book's name. I know you've written Human All to Human, Gay Science. At the towards the end of this novel, he went off and he was still in the process of formulating his character, Zaratusa. I think Zaratusa was a mythical character, I'm pretty sure it was mythical, who went off into the wilderness. He gained some wisdom, some insight. There came a time then when he decided it was time to teach, enlighten other people. And when he came down from the mountain into the town, he realized that nobody was listening to him. Nobody could understand what he was saying. And that's how Nietzsche viewed himself. He viewed himself as a post-humanist philosopher, that his work would actually be more popular after his death, which I think proved to be the case. He didn't sell a lot of books, like in this, in this, uh, in this book itself, it alludes to the fact that Nietzsche had written two books. They weren't being sold that well. And Dr. Breuer asked him, how do you deal with that? That he knew many Viennese writers who would feel like that is debt to them. That would be debt to themselves if they writ written books and it wasn't being sold. And because Nietzsche had this view of himself as a post-humanist philosopher, he said he'd patience and that Perhaps the people in the year 2000 would actually be able to understand what I'm saying and seems to kind of played out that way. People today would read his work. Unfortunately for him, his work caught on in the 1930s around the rise of fascism, Nazi Germany. I think at the time Nietzsche was take taken on as like the key philosopher for the Nazis. And why that's unfortunate is that they misinterpreted some of his work to justify their own ideologies. I think his sister, his sister's mentioned this book, she was an anti-Semite and she had edited some of his work after he died and Yes, it's unfortunate that it took off there. But then the other thing I mentioned in this book was his relationship with Wagner. Wagner, I think they went in two different directions as a result of Wagner's nationalism. Nietzsche wasn't particularly nationalistic. Again, he wasn't anti-Semite either because he, he was a person that was a truth seeker more above everything else. So that's why I'm saying it's unfortunate that his work became popular. It was twisted in ways where it wasn't actually what he was expressing or trying to seek truth for. Because a big portion of this book is about truth and how much truth can one man handle. I think that came up in the book. And that is an interesting thing to contemplate. But I think well, then Nietzsche talked about bloodless scholars. And that's the idea that I think he went to university. I'm actually talking more about Nietzsche at the moment, the natural book, but he found it quite interesting to just read up a bit more about Nietzsche while I was reading the book. I think he went to university and he lasted about a semester because he was disillusioned with 
the atmosphere, I guess, the, the mindset there. And bloodless God, I think that was his term for academics, for people who have a distance between their thoughts about the world and how they actually see things. I think that's what he meant by bloodless scholars, that they don't have skin in the game, that are not taking their ideas seriously, that are not. I think that's the thing. It's like when you, I think that's why philosophy is, it can be transformative. It can also be dangerous because Nietzsche as well, at the end of his life, he actually went mad. I don't know. I don't know what that was about. I don't know what happened to him, but there is a danger inherent in philosophy too, that when you are questioning things at a deeper level, that it's, it's coming back to how much truth can one man take because Nietzsche was a philosopher who explored particularly a lot of the darker aspects of humanity but in a way that was meant to be helpful for humanity because another kind of heuristic, I guess, at the time was that God is dead. And what I took from reading about Nietzsche was that he realized that people at the time were waking up to the idea that religion and these ideas that we've created around morality, that they mightn't hold a lot of substance. And the danger is that if we don't have thought processes in place where we can have a sense of human values, then we could go down a rabbit hole of nihilism. It leaves society open to, to that. And what I got from just reading a bit about Nietzsche, it kind of felt like he realized that more people are waking up to religion and uh, these ideas as being ideas rather than ultimate truths. And that he was trying to understand how do humans come up with values in. I think he's a term Ubermensch, which translates as, I think you can translate in English as Superman or overman, I think is the, the real translation, but you can translate it as Superman as well. And that thing, that was about overcoming yourself. And actually he mentioned in the book when they're treating Dr. Brower's despair, that Dr. Brower was a successful physician, a beautiful wife, beautiful family, yet he felt this sense of despair and how he described it was that he'd gotten to the top of the mountain. He'd achieved a lot of the stuff he wanted to achieve, especially in materialistic sense. And he could only see a decline for the rest of his life, a decline. Cause that was like the core, a lot of what this book was about was that Dr. Breuer, what was happening was that he had a patient called Berta and this was real. He did have a patient called Berta and she would, at the time, they termed it hysteria she was suffering from, and Dr. Breuer was working on her with a talking cure, and that's how he was brought to Nietzsche in the first place. There was another woman, uh, Lou Salome, who was, again, another real person, um, 
who came to Dr. Breuer to look for help for Nietzsche because Nietzsche was going through despair and she was afraid he was suicidal. And as a result of Dr. Breuer's and Nietzsche's conversations, it got to that description that he had this sense of despair, but he couldn't point to uh, an exact reason why. It was just a sense of despair. And what they started to discover was that the despair, Dr. Breuer's despair, was linked to, it was linked to the, you can, you can use Nietzsche's concept of Ubermensch, overcoming, self-transcending, that Dr. Breuer, there was some term he had that he was called by somebody who was younger. I think it was something along the lines of limitless potential. And I think he'd interpreted that more on the surface level, the material level. But he hadn't thought so much about it in the, in the sense of transcending yourself. And so his despair was linked to the fact that he'd bought into ideas that were made for him by culture, family, the environment he's around. And that the limitless potential in Nietzsche's view was more about discovering who you are, transcending who you are. And that's how the, that was linked to the despair. And that's how the conversation started to evolve. Because they're trying to make sense of Dr. Breuer's fascination with Berta. And Nietzsche was starting to point out, I think Nietzsche is a, an existential, one of the existential, existential philosophers. Nietzsche was pointing to the fact that his fascination, his obsession, it was an obsession with Berta, was down to his mind trying to distract him from his existential angst and his existential angst in terms of the aging process, death, these things that aren't easy to accept or contemplate. And yeah, so like through the course of this book, I don't want to give away the whole book either when I'm talking about these things. I just want to talk around things. I'm not going to try. I'm going to try and avoid giving away the whole plot to this book. But over the course of the conversation, you start to see that these two men, from talking things out, they start to get to the core of some of their issues. And some of the surface level stuff falls away. So at the end of the book, I think the thing was Nietzsche had a fascination with Lou Salome and Dr. Breuer had a fascination with Bertha. It was similar enough stuff. What was, what I found interesting also was that when these two men started working together, so Dr. Breuer was working with Nietzsche to cure his physical symptoms. He had headaches, he had different things going on for him on a physical level. And then Nietzsche was meant to cure Dr. Breuer of his despair which was interesting because Dr. Breuer pretended that he needed help from Nietzsche for his despair so that he could help Nietzsche with his despair. So he was hoping he'd start to reveal things 
about himself, the curing of his despair. What Royer started to realize was that he was actually going through despair. And the more he actually engaged in it, the more he started to realize that he was going through despair. That reminded me of the fact, not the fact, that reminded me of another story I read before about uh, a guy who pretended to be insane and he was locked up in in an institute and then he decided not to be insane. He didn't want to be there anymore. And he couldn't get out because it's so hard to prove you're sane once you've been proven insane once. That's what that reminded me there of the, or reading that where Dr. Breuer was pretending he was looking for help for his despair. That reminded me of, of just that little story as well, because the thing is, I think even if you pretend to engage in something that it helps you to move in that direction. That's what helps you to understand that there's a very fine line between pretense and reality as well. I think that's the other thing that, that was going on there. Another thing I liked was that they're both very unconventional in, well, the ways are unconventional in their approach. Like Nietzsche came up with some ways for Dr. Breuer to stop thinking so much and obsessing about Bertha. He, he gave him a go. And then Dr. Breuer, towards the end, gave Nietzsche uh, an off-the-wall thing to do because Nietzsche started crying towards the end. And he didn't know why he was crying. And Dr. Brower asked him to just give the tears a voice. What would they say? I like that because there are elements of psychology and understanding yourself that are inexplicable why they help and there's a level of getting over yourself to entertain doing things like that i found that to be the case for me too i think it helps to like for that for example giving voice to your tears i think that plays into the idea that human beings were made of multiple different parts we're not just this one personality one solid concrete personality there's actually many different parts to human beings and there's a lot of parts we're not aware of and it's only when we start to bring conscious awareness to them give them a voice that we actually start to make progress with things and that for me was like a a representation of that there's many other ways of doing that today as well it's really just doing things that really make you feel uncomfortable and what i think it's doing it's making it's making that part of you that you feel is very solid and very rigid, uncomfortable. That's kind of what I feel is going on there. It's kind of breaking through that more than anything, making yourself feel foolish. And I suppose the other thing that possibly helps with philosophy is, I guess, trying not to take yourself too seriously. So it's finding that balance. It's like taking the process seriously, but not taking yourself as seriously somebody else had said that too about i think it was about art and it's taking your work seriously the art you're producing seriously but not taking yourself as an artist seriously that's the fine line you're you're kind of balancing there and yeah i think there's a lot of truth in that because you do have to take your work seriously like the thing is if i'm if i'm just going to and I've had experience in this where I'd create things. I'd be too afraid to say, this is, this is what I believe right now. This is what I'm t- 
thinking about right now that I would kind of fob it off purely because I am insecure about myself and I kind of fob it off as me not taking things too seriously. But that's ineffective in the long term. You get sick of that after a while because like, if you really care about something, you're putting in work, you'll get sick of that bullshit after a while. So you, you need to take it seriously. But then I suppose it's not wrapping up your whole identity into something. And that's, again, a fine line that I try and balance with the things I do. Um, I suppose it's bringing awareness to it. I guess it helps too when you've got people in your corner, people in your life who are on a similar wavelength to you you don't feel are out to get you because there, there are some people who will be out, out to fucking get you. Uh, actually, I think paranoia, was that something that Nietzsche suffered a bit with? Well, it's something we all kind of suffer with it to different degrees as well, with paranoia. Mesmerism, hypnotizing people, that was talked a little bit about this. Freud actually did mesmerism on Dr. Breuer. That actually helped him to understand his angst. What I liked about this book was it made me think about, it gave me two characters, Dr. Breuer and Nietzsche. Dr. Breuer, for me, represented a man who who was who was self-aware enough to want more from life than just the surface level fitting in appearances. But at the same time, he also seemed to be a man who valued community and valued i think duty was a big thing for him to his detriment to an extent i think nietzsche helped to shine a light on that that he felt a sense of duty a sense of duty that that wasn't very healthy so i think nietzsche pointed to the fact that it's unfair to have children because you fear being alone you should have children when you already have a good sense of who you are and you're bringing children into the world who can be creators, that you're not living vicariously through them, that you're not putting pressure on them because you fear being alone. That's what Nietzsche kind of helped to highlight there in Dr. Breuer. So there was kind of a, I suppose, me when I'm reflecting on it in my own life, just taking the two characters aside for a moment, that's something I would, I would reflect on a bit is I know I don't want to be somebody who is out in the wilderness his whole life, a hermit, not around anybody. But I also know I don't want to be in society just mindlessly doing things, not really. I suppose being in society, having this huge level of angst because I don't know what to do with myself. And like, that's the problem with group think and being around a lot of people there's not a lot of weight put on things that are intangible there's so much more weight put on the tangible things that are not linked to the angst that you feel so got me to think about like the balance here of being around the right people 
I suppose being around the right people. I suppose I guess uh, it kind of sunk into a bit more to me. It's how you feel about yourself. So if you're, the more you become comfortable with yourself and the, the less you fear being alone, I think the more that the right people, the people who are interested in what you have to say, will be around you. But I think that's the like, balancing act here. I, I find it tricky because it's, I think there's a certain amount of isolation you go through to not fear being alone. So like, how could you overcome the fear of being alone if you're never alone? So there is an element of that there. And then I suppose the other part of it is being around the right people. I think as you fear that, as you, as you fear being alone less and less, you get to know yourself more and more comfortable in your own skin. I think it just, there's less pretense about you. There's less acting because you think that's what other people want from you. You know, they're the wrong people. So I guess you're thinking about these things, you know, uh, which I, which I find helpful. I do, I do find helpful. And it's, it's just not, it's not an easy process, but it, it's something that's worth exploring. I don't think I want to be the Dr. Breuer character getting to parties and having this huge amount of existential angst. I don't know where it's coming from. I don't know how to deal with it. I'd rather like explore this stuff and see like what comes of it before the, before the fact. Just the last point I want to touch on there. I think I mentioned it briefly to start in actually expanding it, but there was a difference between Nietzsche, the writer and Nietzsche, the person, Dr. Breuer remarked in the books. He, he mentioned that he's very direct to the point, kind of angry, not angry, but forceful, direct, powerful. And then in person, he was a lot more quieter and kept to himself. And I think Nietzsche's reason he said, he said he gave for that was because, uh, when people don't listen, you have to be like that in the book. But I found that interesting. It got me thinking about myself. Is there a difference between how I am day to day and how I am in whenever I write? And I'm not too sure. But I'm not probably not the best person to um, come up with an answer to that. Yeah, so I don't, I don't, I don't know for sure, to be honest. Other than, I suppose, there's, I'm not really a man for small talk in my day-to-day -day life anyway, but there's zero small talk in my books, I guess. I guess that's one big difference. Other than that, I'm not too sure. But it's something to, something, again, that's interesting, that you express yourself in different ways. And, like, if you're somebody who doesn't write, or if you're already writing and you haven't really thought about this, it'd be good to just, Maybe explore that, like how, what aspects of yourself is writing helping to express and release and to even evolve and involve in you. It's like that thing feeding the two dogs inside yourself. The, there was an Indian, an old Cherokee story. I think they framed it in terms of good and bad wolf. But I'm just framing this in terms of there's a lot of different wolves inside you. Uh, what ones do you want to feed? What ones do you want to see actually grow in, in your real life?
Well, yeah, I think they're the main things I wanted to cover today when Nietzsche wept, an existential philosopher, Nietzsche. Freud is in his book too, Dr. Breuer. I recommend giving it a read. I think on my next book, I'm going to read Psychotherapy, Psychotherapy East and West by Alan Watts. I think, is that the name of the title? I think that's the title. Psychotherapy, yeah, Psychotherapy East and West, Alan Watts. Alan Watts is actually one of my favorite philosophers. Listened to a lot of his stuff over the years. Found it very useful. And I'm just going to talk about that book. So that's it. Thanks again for listening. Uh, my new book out as well now, if you want to buy it, The Edge. It's on Amazon, available on Amazon. I'll put a link in the show notes. It's about waking up to yourself through creativity, the journey from Plato's cave to the artist's world. That's the best way I would describe this book. That's it. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Thanks again for listening, and I will speak to you on the next episode. Mm-hmm.